Welcome to Closing the Digital Divide, the show where we bring in guests from industry, policymakers, equipment manufacturers, as well as many others on the steps they are taking to close the digital divide. Today we have with us James Child. James is the Chief Strategy Officer for Gigfire. James is a business development executive with decades of telecommunications and technology-based sales experience. He has extensive experience selling to C-level executives and a successful track record building strong relationships with decision makers in diverse telecom, wireless, and MSO verticals. James, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for the invitation. All right, so let's jump right into it. Today's topic is the FCC um, that's considering the lower 12 gigahertz band for fixed wireless and what effect, if any, that that's going to have on closing the digital divide. James, I always start my first question out with what is the digital divide and why is it so important for us to have it closed? Yeah, definitely two politically charged cutesy words in a lot of conversation, <laughs> but uh, it, it, you know there's a there's a lot of meaning and substance there. Um, at, at, yeah, as a country, we have a lot of mixed opportunity based on you know where 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 you were born, what opportunity was within your family, and and honestly, at this point, I, you know I think the efforts are noble to try to level the playing field as far as access to infrastructure. But as a as a, a person who's um, certainly Charles uh, aligned with me on on the greater good, the, the digital divide has has to do also with um, you know literacy and the capability of being able to utilize infrastructure to improve one's life, to improve one's family life, and that includes access to you know financial uh, or you know fintech based financial inclusion, use of the internet, access to education. Uh, there's there's probably some subtopics there that are really meaningful, but uh, cer certainly that's a great way to start the, the discussion. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, there was a recent press release by uh, CTIA, and they they talked about the need for the U.S. to have 400 megahertz of full powered license spectrum to meet the demands of the wireless broadband in the next five years. Uh, I'd like to get your response to that press release. Yeah, well, I, I certainly think that's uh, accurate when, when, you know, as you look at both um, system capacity requirements. So if, if, you know, people that are doing network planning and mobility, uh, especially are watching, you know, kind of usage trends and application requirements from a bandwidth perspective, and there's a, a straight kind of, you know, conversion within RF properties of this much bandwidth I can move with this much um, spectrum. And as, you know, we've watched 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G and, and 5G, and now we're already, of course, um, in the lab with 6G, the, uh, the needs of, of mobile and wireless systems, to your point, continue to evolve. And the backbone of that evolution is access and, and the inclusion of different spectrum into the different 3GPP standards as they um, evolve. Well, speaking of different spectrums, uh, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel, and I, hopefully I pronounced her name correctly, right. um, released her agenda for the May 18th open meeting that outlines a proposal that would possibly allow terrestrial fixed wireless use or unlicensed use 
in the 12 gigahertz band. Can you explain to our audience, first of all, how spectrum is used in fixed wireless? And secondly, what is the 12 gigahertz band and, and how can it play a role in deployments? Yeah, the, the 12 gigahertz band was traditionally utilized for um, direct broadcast DBS um, services. And, you know, we, we, we all know that there's a kind of declining base in home-based mm -hmm. satellite um, in large part due to streaming services that have become the more common um, place to consume uh, television. And that's, you know, uh, Netflix and, and Amazon Prime and all the rest of those services that now command the eyeballs of the American public have created that change. And, and the, the increasing um, uh, loss of the need, I guess, for that spectrum for DBS opened up, um, you know, throughout history, uh, mm -hmm. the opportunity to also utilize it for terrestrial. And the spectrum began really as a proposition that both services could coexist. So some of the initial restrictions that were put on the band um, were put on there. One way, you know, one way uh, uh, broadcast restrictions were put on there so that they could coexist potentially with the DBS systems. But we've come a long way since the the 90s or or, or uh, you know when this was originally auctioned and. Um, I think the uh, the 12 gigahertz band is a is a really unique um, band to be able to facilitate a lot of capacity, you know, gigabit type capacity over, you know, some some pretty impressive distances. You know, some something around 10 miles is is uh, certainly doable in kind of the common point to multi point microwave architectures that are modeled mm -hmm. using this, and that's approximately twice the amount of distance. Um, that's, mm -hmm. that's uh, you know, capable with, with even kind of common five gigahertz systems, but also as you go higher up, um, especially with, you know, point, point to multi-point, Charles and point to point are very different. So talking sure. especially about point to multi-point systems, 12 gigahertz presents a really unique opportunity to do gigabit over kind of a 10 mile um, uh, type of, uh, of distance. So in, in other words, it, it gives us an opportunity to really um, expand those types of deployments. Yeah, because, you know, the, the you know, the the broadband deployment and you know, we're trying to solve that problem year over year. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a lot of push for fiber and, you know, we, we, we may not get into all of the differences between a fiber deployment and a fixed wireless access deployment. I think some of your questions may hit on a part mm -hmm. of it, but the reality- That'll be, that'll be for a, a later uh, podcast, okay. and, and, yeah. I, and I, you have to promise me you'll come back for that one. Sure, well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely will do. Um, and, and, and inevitably, the point, I guess, is is that, you know, the, the opportunity to be able to put up a high capacity systems that utilize mm -hmm. the 12 gigahertz band um, d does give uh, immense range capabilities to an operator deploying that. And then, of course, you know, the, it, depending on what the commission decides in this meeting, if it's, you know, fully licensed or if they allow a part to be unlicensed or if they do something similar to CBRS where there's, you know, uh, a registration or a SAS system that controls components or access to it, some of those things definitely still remain to be determined by the commission, but certainly this is a great step in the right direction by addressing it and, and getting it ready for um, broadband um, operators to be able to utilize. 
Well, speaking of that meeting, um, in the past, we've had seen some policy with other large funding programs that some entities have been able to find loopholes to justify not producing. Um, in your in your opinion, why is it so important, or why is it important that we have good foundational policy for the soon-to-be-released grant funding programs like beads and others, where the 12 gigahertz band may be utilized? Yeah, uh, you know, I think they got some, you know, some things right. Uh, lessons learned along the path. I mean, I think we all, uh, you know, as uh, Americans, uh, want to see that our government uh, learns and grows, regardless of the administration, regardless of the political party in charge at the moment. You know, there's 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 key there's key issues here that. Um, uh, we hope that the, the government can learn from its own mistakes over time, and certainly anybody can look back on on the programs that have been administered and the funds that have been deployed in the past, and with a uh, with an eye of scrutiny, um, worry about how things can be administered in a more effective um, way. And so, uh, you know, bead the intention for bead, of course, is that NTA will distribute those funds to state broadband offices, which will evaluate projects um, with the idea that the state broadband office knows best um, how to both qualify and administer um, funds. Um, and, and I guess that's the hypothesis that's going to be, uh, or the thesis, if you will, that'll be um, put to test is, is how, how these uh, state broadband offices, many of them quite new, but luckily are staffed with competent, you know, in general competent people from the uh, telecom industry that uh, do have, you know, broadband experience, um, how they'll do in the administration of uh, the program. So I, I'm, I've got high aspirations and I'm optimistic that it'll be successful. I think there were, um, you know, challenges to programs in the past that we definitely need to learn from, Charles. After, after. Um, we, you know, some of the things, some of the, the discussions that I've had in the past, uh, revolves around the political will to to do this, and um, we've we've had some really great discussions with some folks that um, that'll be on later podcasts, uh, specifically around that question. You know, in your opinion, do we have the political will to get this right? I hope so because I'm an optimistic American, and I you know continue to want to um, you know. Uh, I continue to want to believe that our leaders can find a way to uh, work with each other and um, put put differences aside for the matter, the things that matter most to you know solving some of these problems that we've talked about this morning in regards to the digital divide. So certainly I'm optimistic by it. You know anybody who you know watches sort of the uh, tit for tat kind of um, political nonsense mm -hmm. that goes on uh, can 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 get maybe a bit disheartened. By it. But let's hope that uh, both this administration and this FCC can remain focused on um, solving the challenge of, uh, of uh, you know, in this case, putting some additional spectrum to work that will, in fact, help um, beat operators uh, w because of one of the key uh, one of the key things that appear to be unchanged within the NTIA program is mm -hmm. that fixed wireless must be done over licensed spectrum in order to qualify um, for both uh, funding or or to qualify to not be overbuilt. You must have a system that's built on licensed spectrum, and that's that's a key piece for folks to understand. 
Okay. Um, well, speaking of that, let's, um, based on how 12 gigahertz is being used right now, talk to me about some of the challenges and or barriers that we would have moving into that space for fixed wireless. I think the biggest starting point is just getting the, the microwave manufacturers, um, uh, you know, to push forward product, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. what I, I would say that uh, product development will be the, you know, and speed to market will be one of the bigger challenges because even if the spectrum is available for, for bead applicants, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll have a system that's, you know, generally uh, or, or into general availability that they can deploy on. So I, I, I think you're going to see some real innovative uh, manufacturers step forward. And, you know, I, I've, I've worked for some of those in the past that have uh, that have designed at least had preliminary product that worked in the 12 gigahertz band. And, and so it, it's a time for the microwave, uh, the wireless microwave manufacturing industry to step forward and to, to definitely put this band to work within its um, product portfolio. Right, right. So um, your company, Gigfire, uses multiple technologies to deploy uh, broadband services, what I call the hybrid model, which we, we, uh, we try to deploy here as well. Um, and I think it's essential in helping to close the, the, the digital divide. Um, you had made a comment on uh, LinkedIn that, you know, we want to use the right tool for the right issue, right? We don't necessarily need to use a hammer when we can use a stapler, Yeah. right? Yeah. So um, talk to me about the, the decision process that led you guys to deploy this hybrid model, which could possibly use that 12 gigahertz band. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, I think uh, on a high level, you know, we we take a look at um, you know our our network is quite large. It's uh, you know it's it exists in nine states. It covers over sixty thousand square miles, um, and and we're looking at how you know effectively to to improve it, uh, in, you know, by upgrading it to gigabit capacity infrastructure on the wireless side, and by um, adding you know uh, fiber. Uh, to the home markets and um, the company traditionally for you know the first 10 12 years of its existence focused exclusively on fixed wireless access uh, and and then a number of years ago uh, started um, in haste to build fiber in part because the company uh, has has learned how to build fiber at a uh, construction pace that is um, I think one of the the best in the country um, and then has its costs well under control. And that's, you know, another important thing that, you know, that need, needs to be done. If we want to manage and administer programs correctly, then we also have to be, as broadband operators, um, good stewards of the funds and looking for the most economical ways to build quality network that passes the most amount of homes. And that's really at the core of what Gigfire is committed to do. Um, not only for its existing coverage areas and existing markets, but for the adjacent fiber to the home cities that we're currently building. And to your point about hybrid networks, we think that's the way of the future. You know, there's there uh, there is a lot of places that where fiber is absolutely the best answer and mm -hmm. should be done. if the economics work, if the uh, the construction process allows, 
then uh, uh, if the household pass per mile is, is of an equation that works, then fiber is uh, generally the answer. But if, if there's, uh, you know, more of a rural environment that doesn't have, you know, an extreme amount of trees, uh, then certainly fixed wireless access generally works um, really well. And you have all sorts of innovative vendors now in the fixed wireless access domain, Tirana on the sub six stuff that's doing some uh, near or non-line of sight with bands that have traditionally had some challenges with trees all the way up to, for us, we use a Paraso chipset that operates in 60 gigahertz that also gives us some failover capabilities into the sub six bands and that product's available to us at an economic price. So we look at the economics of what it takes to deliver gigabit. But Charles, in our hearts, we believe mm -hmm. a gigabit is a gigabit is a gigabit. Exactly. And if we can deliver it reliably across, you know, either fiber or um, fixed wireless access, we we believe a customer will be well served by it either way. Yeah, and I and I, I I echo that sentiment, and I always say, you know, as long as we're delivering what the customer needs are, you know, who cares if we bring it there in a Toyota or if we bring it there in a Ferrari? Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. They're, they're getting those services. Um, James, this has been great. Um, you are uh, definitely an industry expert. Uh, I really appreciate the time we've had today. Um, talk to me a little bit, or at least tell our audience uh, a little bit about your infrastructure, about where you guys service, and um, how would uh, a uh, potential subscriber uh, subscribe to your services? Yeah, sure. I mean, we operate, um, uh, our biggest markets are in Minnesota, um, Iowa, and Illinois, um, as well as uh, Nebraska. And um, we also have parts of North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin. And then we're building um, fiber in both Tennessee and Missouri. So the you know the easiest way is to just go to our website uh, gigfire.com. We've got an excellent coverage map. We have a um, a chat uh, that's staffed by real life people. Imagine that in a world of AI, <laughs> where the suggestion is is AI is going to replace everything. We still you know have that real life human touch in that chat uh, in that chat on our website, so we can easily qualify um, you if it looks like you live in an area that we've indicated. Um, we have service available, then uh, please get a hold of us. We'd love to talk to you and uh, figure out how we can help serve your needs. So what what are those services that you guys deliver? I know you 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 do fiber. you obviously you do fix. We talked about that. Um, yeah, we focus, you know right now we focus on <clears throat> gigabit internet is is the sort of path going forward. We believe seventy dollars is the right price point. We think there's plenty of research. It's not just that you know metronet or google has picked a similar price point we kind of led with that uh, a number of years ago our plan always centered around that 70 dollar price point so low cost gigabit um, uh, services is the uh, product that we're uh, going after there are some some of our legacy let's say network that's been built over the last decade has packages that are less than that but we're you know committed ultimately to upgrading the entire network to gigabit capacity and everywhere of course charles that we build fiber immediately has uh, frankly multiple gigabit capabilities so we have a one gig and a two gig package commonly offered to residential customers and then up to 10 gig for business um, customers uh, within our coverage areas well it sounds like you guys are really working to help us close that digital divide um james do you have any Final comments on uh, any of the topics that we discuss here today? 
No, excited to see the FCC take action. We we definitely look at uh, implementing it and would plan on it depending on the, the licensing um, uh, kind of parameters that they put around 12 gig, but super excited to see that band become utilized. I think in order for America to have, you know, a continuation of, of um, a leadership in regards to wireless, we need this additional capacity. So that's uh, super exciting for, for members of the uh, Wireless ISP Association and those that are, are looking for um, participation in the B program. And I appreciate Charles the invitation to join you this morning. Excellent. James, thank you again for joining us. Um, this podcast will be up on our website uh, very, very soon. You can get all of our podcast episodes at ctdd.castos.com or wherever you get your podcast. James, thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, have a good day. We look forward to talking to you real soon. Thank you. Appreciate it.